You're listening to the Hog Beat Hour with Andrew Hutchinson, Alex Trader, and Mason Choate on ESPN Arkansas on HitThatLine.com. Now, here's your host, Mason Choate. Welcome to the Hog Beat Hour. I'm your host, Mason Choate, joined by managing editor of HogBeat.com, Andrew Hutchinson, and recruiting expert at HogBeat.com, Alex Trader. As always, we have a busy episode today, but before we get started, I just want to ask everybody if you like what you see, um, give it a thumbs up, give us a five star if you're listening on Apple Podcasts, hit the subscribe button if you're on YouTube, and uh, always go to hogbeat.com and check out all the content we got over there as well. It's the best in the business and it's well worth your time and your money. So, all right, guys, let's get started. So, uh, we got to talk about the Kentucky game. It's not one of those games that you can just like skip over. So, Arkansas beats Kentucky 75 73 in Bud Walton Arena. And I, I'm going to be honest, I wasn't there. I wasn't there. So I'm going to let Hutch, I'm going to let you talk about that game for the most part because I don't want to say anything that is not correct. So just tell us what you thought. I asked somebody else in the media last or Wednesday at the LSU game. I said, what was the atmosphere for the Kentucky game compared to the Auburn game? And I probably shouldn't have asked the question because he said, I think it was better. And that made me feel a lot worse inside that I wasn't there. But anyway, Hutch, just take it away. Well, it's not like you just totally skipped out on everything because you're down in Round Rock for baseball. Uh, of course, you just had to spend the day uh, watching nothing because of the rain out. But, uh, oh, well, uh, it, it was an incredible atmosphere, though. I mean, I, I think the Auburn game was probably a more sustained loudness throughout the entire 40 minutes uh, that, I mean, I've never experienced anything like that Auburn game. Like my ears literally hurt after the game. It was so loud. Kentucky, I think had more loud moments that maybe got a little bit louder than what it was in the Auburn game. It just wasn't quite as sustained, uh, but it was, I mean, both of them, it, it's really hard to, to pick one or the others, whichever one was the better environment. Uh, they were both incredible. Uh, the Kentucky game, Arkansas, early on, it looked like they were going to run away with it. I mean, they got up, I can't remember, like 13 or something like that, and they were clicking on all cylinders. It looked uh, like they, if, if Kentucky didn't respond when they did, it looked like Arkansas was going to run away with it for, for an easy win. Uh, but Kentucky did in the, in the half on a really good run, uh, cut the lead. To, I can't remember. It was definitely single digits, uh, and it was kind of a disappointing finish to the half. And then, of course, Kentucky comes out and throws the first punch in, in, in the second half. Uh, they actually took the lead. And, and that second half of basketball, if you're just a casual college basketball fan, you had to love that second half. I mean, it was just haymaker after haymaker. Uh, there, uh, there were, I think, 16 lead changes in the second half alone. Uh, I think there was a five-minute stretch with, like, eight lead changes or nine lead changes, and neither team led by more than one point. I mean, it was just every possession felt like it was the biggest possession of the game. And it was one of those games where it was really hard. You know, journalists know this. Like, it's really hard to really start your story because you're thinking, like, oh, is this going to be the turning point? This is what I'm going to start, you know, my story with. And it was like, no, no, because the other team answered. And it was just uh, just an incredible, incredible game. Uh, Arkansas just found a way to pull it out at the end. And and really, they, they should have won by five. Uh, but Kentucky got a, a, a banked buzzer beater from near half court at the buzzer uh, that I know some people, if you uh, gamble on games, probably either loved it or hated it because uh, it swung, <laughs> swung the results uh, the other way. So, uh, but still, if for Arkansas, it didn't matter because a, a win's a win. And anytime you can beat Kentucky, anytime you can beat a top 10 team like that, it, it, was, a, it was a big deal. So just looking at this game, it, it was a J.D. Note statement game, I believe. I mean, 30 points against the guy who is probably the favorite to win SEC Player of the Year, Oscar Shibway, who also, also scored 30 points and how many he had 18 rebounds. But J.D. Note was on the winning team, and the winning team won a lot or in, in big part to J.D. Note scoring 30 points. And then you look, and it was the Jalen Williams puke game. I guess that's what people are calling it because – he was throwing up at, at halftime. So, and then, but I, I'm, I want to bring this up because I'm looking here on the, on the stat sheet and it's like, so Arkansas is down 70 to 69 with two minutes and 21 seconds left. 
And then Jalen Williams hits a shot with a minute and 22 seconds um, to give Arkansas the lead. And then about 30 seconds later, he hits two more free throws to extend the lead to 73-70. So, I mean, how often are we seeing it that Jalen Williams hits a big shot in the second half and it's a big reason why Arkansas wins the game, Hutch? Yeah, he's just got a knack for making plays whenever you need it. And uh, I know we'll talk about the LSU game here in a little bit, but I think that's what made the LSU win so much more impressive is that he wasn't on the floor in the critical stretch of the game. Uh, But he was against Kentucky, and thank goodness he was. Uh, He knocked down that jumper to put him up uh, with a little over a minute left, and then Arkansas really ratcheted up the defense, uh, forced a turnover, I believe. Uh, There was an offensive foul that I know Kentucky fans didn't like, but I thought it was a – a very clear uh, offensive foul uh, on an inbound play. Uh, so it, it was just uh, Jalen Williams is so incredible. And, you know, you mentioned it was the, the Jalen Williams puke game. Comes to find out, allegedly, per Eric Musselman, uh, the sickness that J.D. Note apparently also felt uh, was due to them eating too many pancakes that morning and it being a 1 o'clock tip. I... <laughs> It's just kind of one of those things, you know, I mentioned that to my wife and she made the comment like, you know, sometimes you forget that these guys are, are still kids and they, they don't, they probably didn't think like, oh, hey, maybe I should eat a light breakfast because we're getting ready to play number six Kentucky in front of 20,000 fans and 2 million people watching on TV on CBS. They were like, hey, man, I want some pancakes. <laughs> and uh, so for, for Jalen Williams to overcome that and be able to play the way he did in the second half and down the stretch, when Eric Melson said they weren't sure what they were going to get from Jalen Williams in the second half. They were already making contingency plans, like how are we going to get by without Jalen being Jalen? And uh, Jalen sucked it up, and he was able to, to make those key plays that, that we've known him to make all year. I mean, honestly, I would say you might prefer your players to to have that mindset of, hey, we're just going to go get some pancakes. It's, it's another Saturday because you don't want them like having all those nerves like, oh, this is a big game. Like, I don't I don't know how I feel about it. It, it, it maybe brings a little comfort that they're that that chill about a game like that. But speaking of not having Jalen Williams on the court against LSU on Wednesday night, Jalen Williams fouls out with like what, five minutes left? ish in the second half and I I was talking to Alex and I'll bring you in on this Alex before before we started it's like once Jalen Williams fouled out in that LSU game it was like okay right the lead the game's game's decided you felt like LSU was playing good enough to that point if Arkansas doesn't have Jalen Williams on the court this game's over oh absolutely and I I told you beforehand I audibly just said hey all of this one's over because there was no stopping uh, the, the LSU getting to the line and just being able to, to constantly get there, make free throws. They, they can miss as many shots as they wanted to because they were always getting the rebound. And once you lose your top rebounder, that becomes even more of a problem. Um, it, it was a massive, massive stretch for this team to be able to go in without their best, without, in my eyes, the, the most important player on this team. You can argue best between him and J.D. Note, but the most important player to this team throughout all phases of the game and be able to come away with the win without him there for that close stretch with the last five minutes. That's arguably, I mean, you, you have the win over Auburn, the win over Tennessee, the win over Kentucky that make you think, Hey, we can beat any team in the country. Having that happen makes you even more confident about March because crazy things happen in March. You never know how these games are going to go. You never know who's going to be on the court for you when and being able to come away without that top player for your team uh, is a massive, massive takeaway for Eric Musselman. So Williams goes down, but if you look at it, J.D. Note hits a three about 50 seconds into the game, and then he doesn't score for another 28 and a half-ish minutes. And so, Hutch, I just want to I want to ask you, like, how key is that for Arkansas that that whole first half from the 19-10 mark in the first half to the end of the first half, J.D. Note didn't score a point. Now, he was still on the court, and he was doing things, and he was helping the team out. But that's your go-to score, and Arkansas goes into halftime tied 35-35 with LSU, and J.D. Note has three points. And, I mean, Stanley Amude, he, he helped out a lot. But it feels like when you have a game from Audis Tony where he quietly scores 18, and I don't think that's like an overstatement. Saying Audis Tony quietly scores 18 points is it's pretty accurate because 
at the end of this game, when I see that he scored 18 points, I didn't, I, I would not have, if you would have asked me without me looking at the box score, I wouldn't say 18 points. And th- I think that's a big reason why Arkansas won this game. I think really you look at J.D. Note, yes, he didn't score very well, but look at how LSU played him. I mean, they were just all over him the entire game. They were face guarding. They weren't letting him get the ball. Uh, you know, they were, I think Eric Musselman and, and I think Jimmy Dykstra in the game used the term, they blitzed them uh, and that they, they made it hard on them. And, but when you're doing that, it opens things up for other guys. And luckily for Arkansas, they have some guys that have proven they can take over a game offensively. I mean, Jalen Williams was really effective, especially in the first half. And he ended up finishing with 19 points. Who knows what he could have finished with had he, you know, stayed out of foul trouble. Uh, Stanley Amude, you know, 23 points. I mean, he's a guy that you know can be a scorer. I mean, he dropped 31, I think, in a game earlier this season. and uh, He's had a couple of 20-point games as well. I think over the last six games, he's averaging 15. So he's, he's been playing really well. Uh, Audis Tony, you mentioned him. And whenever he's doing what he does, you know, and, and I think one reason why it felt like he quietly had 18 is because he wasn't doing anything that just really wowed you, like, oh, my gosh, what an incredible drive to the basket or whatever. He's just making cuts and getting past two, and it's just a layup or a dump or something like that. And it's just like, okay, that's an easy bucket, easy bucket. And well, those add up. Uh, and so I, I think that was kind of key to Arkansas last night is they've got guys that are capable of stepping up, and they all did. I felt like you know, Jalen stepped up offensively, Tony stepped up, uh, Stanley stepped up. I mean, it, that, that was huge. And I think that's what makes this team so dangerous is – even if, say, Amude was off, you know, you've had games like that, and then Devo scores a lot, or somebody else. Chris Likes has had some good, big games. So that that's there are different guys on this team that are capable. Uh, even whenever you're guys that you're you're you usually count on, like you know JD Note, for example, you know, averaging 19 points a game. If he doesn't quite have his usual level of production, you've got someone else that can step up and fill his shoes. Yeah, I mean, just a few things that we heard post game, kind of going off of that. You you mentioned the blitzing um, that they were doing on JD Note. Jalen Williams said that as well, and he said that you know he would come off a screen and they would be hitting Note hard, but it would open it up for Williams and they would find him. And so early in the first half, Jalen Williams was having a lot of success down low. He was forcing his way inside, and that was not part of the game plan. It's just what they were giving to him because they were hitting Note so hard. And then with Audis Tony. Eric Musselman said that he thinks Audis Tony is the best basket cutter in all of college basketball. So that's some pretty high praise from Eric Musselman for Audis Tony. And I, I, I think he might be right, but I agree with you on the, 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 the statement that this team has players that can step up. And I mean, we've talked about this. We, we kind of go at this most episodes, but earlier in the year, you didn't have that. You didn't have guys that could step up. And Alex, you're shaking your head, so I'll, I'll ask you. I mean, like, it felt like it was Note or Bust, and then it became Note and Williams or Bust, and now it's you got guys all around that you can rely on. Yeah, I know. Uh, we, we talked about Jalen Williams and J.D. Note and how big they were, and even Audis Tony. But the real – I mean, the real hero of that game was Stanley Umude being able to knock down those threes down the stretch. Uh, capped this game from getting out of hand. LSU, every time they missed – like I said, they were getting the ball back. So it makes it almost impossible for you to get into a rhythm and feel comfortable with, with going in and just taking twos because you know that they're going to get those twos back. So Mude being able to, to go in and knock down a couple of those threes and make this game manageable again was massive. Um, I think that was the biggest question for us whenever we were talking earlier in the year about whether or not this was a legitimate tournament team or a team that could make it back to, to where it was last year was what are we what, – what are – they going to do when JD Note can't can't score the way he has been, or what are they going to do when Jalen Williams isn't out there? And we've seen now that there there is that kind of hierarchy where those two do generally take over. But you can see a guy like Stanley Umude, a guy like Devo Davis, even um, or Adis Tony, go out there and get you a couple of buckets and and really contribute. Not even just scoring, but on the defensive end um, or passing or just making those cuts like we were talking about. Yeah, you mentioned Amude's three-pointers in the second half, but some people were saying over on our uh, Hogbeat message board, the trough this morning, Amude's 
basket at the end of the first half that tied it 35-35 going into halftime, that was a huge bucket because Arkansas wins this game by one point. If you don't have that basket going into half, I mean, Arkansas, as always, I mean, they it was just a rough stretch going through at the end of the first half. And they get that shot, and, you know, that creates a little bit of momentum going into halftime coming out. Of course, LSU came out of halftime, scored seven straight, and Eric Melsman called a timeout a minute and a half in. But um, I want to go to the end of the game real quick before we wrap up this segment. So Kamani Johnson uh, gets hooked up with Wilkinson uh, of LSU, a flagrant foul is called. So Kamani goes to the line with a chance to tie it up at 76. Of course, he only makes one. So Arkansas is down by one. And Note, uh, so then Arkansas gets the possession. And then Note turns it over. But then LSU goes down, they don't score a point, and, L- and Note comes out with it. He gets fouled, and he makes both his free throws. Hutch, just this team can make shots under pressure, and that is a great attribute to have going into March. Yeah, I mean, and, and honestly, I think we've talked about it, you know, in previous episodes. Sometimes whenever Arkansas is in those situations, you know, shot clock off, you need a bucket to either tie or take the lead. They haven't gone particularly well under Eric Musselman. However, they bucked that trend against LSU with, with Note getting to the free throw line. Did he benefit from a friendly whistle, friendly call? Probably. I, I mean, it, I, whenever it happened, I thought he traveled. Um, after seeing a replay, I don't know. I mean, it, it was a bang-bang play. It just When you're Arkansas and when you followed this program as long as we have, you don't expect Arkansas to get a call like that. Uh, so you got to give, gotta give uh, the officials some credit there. You, know, you, you get the benefit of a call. Um, but for Note to go to the free throw line, eight seconds left, and to knock him down cold-blooded like that, uh, that's huge. I mean, we've seen, you know, in recent years, we've seen Daryl Macon do that. We've seen Jalen Tate do that against Kentucky last year on the road. To see J.D. Note do it, that was a really good sign because you're probably going to need, and we've seen it already this year with Arkansas, you're going to need to ice games at the free throw line down the stretch. And they're a really, really good free throw shooting team. I think, what, they go 24 or 28 or something last night? Uh, that, that was a, a massive, massive help whenever you're trying to, to win a game like that. Um, let's see, free throws for Arkansas. Yeah, 24 of 28. Uh, Tony was six of six, Note four of four, Amude four of four, Williams seven of eight. So your let's see, three of your four misses came from Devontae Davis and Kamani Johnson. Okay, well, we're gonna wrap this segment up and then we're gonna talk some more. Razorback basketball coming up. Of course, only one game left in the regular season. They go to Tennessee on Saturday. So we'll look ahead to that and then we'll kind of look ahead to the SEC tournament as well here on the Hogbeat Hour. You're listening to the Hog Beat Hour with Andrew Hutchinson, Alex Trader, and Mason Choate on ESPN Arkansas on HitThatLine.com. Now, here's your host, Mason Choate. All right, we're back here on the Hog Beat Hour. The Hog Beat crew, Mason Choate, Alex Trader, and Andrew Hutchinson with you. All right, this, this segment is going to be dedicated to Hutch. Um, you, you mentioned that you want to embrace your inner Stephen A. Smith, so we will allow you to do that now. I'll set you up with, uh, so Arkansas with the win over Kentucky, their net ranking moved up one spot from 24 to 23. Um, That was on Saturday. And then also on Saturday, LSU beat Missouri at home, and they moved up from 18 to 16. Um, And then Arkansas beats LSU on Wednesday, and they move up two spots to 21 in the net rankings. And I think LSU stayed put. So, I will now open up the floor to you, Mr. Hutchinson. Well, first of all, any ranking that has LSU ahead of Arkansas is obviously flawed. I mean, just look at LSU. Completely disregard the fact that Arkansas has beaten them both at home and on the road, which I don't know how you can disregard that, but let's do it for the sake of the argument. Arkansas has won, I think, what, 14 out of the last 15? They've beaten Kentucky. They've beaten... Uh, Auburn they've beaten Tennessee and they've gone on the road they've won some games they've beaten Florida uh, on the road and the one loss they had it wasn't like they got blown out either and it was on the road against a a high ranking net team in Alabama so to me it's it's obviously flawed 
There, there is absolutely no reason Arkansas should be behind LSU for one. And I totally get the fans' frustration whenever it comes to these net rankings. It just – the formula is is kind of – it's hidden. Like, we don't know the exact, like, okay, this is, you know, plug in the numbers, wherever. Like, the RPI, which is what the net replaced, you actually kind of knew the formula. That's why you had other websites that could, you know, do the, the RPI. It was all based. There's a little element of that to the net rankings, but there's also the element of the efficiency ratings, you know, stuff like you see on Ken Palm or uh, Bart Torvik, I think is how you say it. Uh, those, those, those kind of websites, uh, the BPI. Uh, so those efficiency rankings are, are factored in there. And so that's why you get results like, you know, Missouri moving or LSU beating Missouri, which is a just horrible team and destroying them. Uh, leads to them going up two, where Arkansas only jumps one with a close win over Kentucky. Uh, that, to me, it just doesn't make sense. And I think that, if, obviously, the AP poll is flawed. I mean, you've got AP, different AP voters have different styles of, of how they're going to vote, things like that. But at least you can look at it logically and go, okay, LSU has a losing record over the last like month and a half. They are not deserving of being a top 25 team. And it's also really confusing to me because I don't think LSU played a particularly, you know, impressive non-conference schedule. I mean, I think they had a, a, a win over like Wake Forest or something like that. I mean, how is that any different than a win over Cincinnati for Arkansas? I mean, th- th- those are pretty comparable games. And yet here they are still ranked ahead. They're also ahead of Arkansas in the Ken Palm rankings, uh, which is a little bit interesting. Uh, LSU's non-conference ranking is or non-conference strength of schedule is 184. Arkansas's is 242. You can't really defend Arkansas's non-conference slate because it was horrible. Um, they didn't exactly play great during that slate either. But it's not so much so that their incredible conference run should outweigh that. I mean, they are right up there with the likes of Kentucky, who's number four in the Ken Palm rankings, Auburn, who's number seven, and Tennessee, who's number eleven. You have to go all the way down to 19 in Ken Palm's ranking. So I, I don't I don't understand it. I think that, you know, Eric Musselman said it best in the uh, post-game press conference after the LSU game and that, you know, what are these things? And and hopefully, you know, the, the human element, whenever the selection committee gets together and I look at the teams and they're like, okay, this team's better than number 21, like the net rankings say, or whatever. I, I just can't imagine the Hofstra and the Vanderbilt losses forever ago. Uh, would still impact the rankings like that. I mean, the Hofstra loss happened before Christmas. I mean, so much has happened since then, and yet it still seems to be kind of holding Arkansas down. And Hofstra isn't a terrible team. I mean, they're right around the 100, 110 range or whatever in the net rankings. So I I don't know. I I don't get it. And I totally understand Eric Musselman's frustrations, you know, whenever he went on that rant after the game. So – I'm just looking at the SEC standings and LSU's 20 and 10 overall record. They're eight and nine in conference play, three and eight on the road. And then I, I, okay, so I'm with you. I don't get it. How is, how is Kentucky? I get Kentucky because they have quality wins. Tennessee has some quality wins, but Arkansas beat Auburn, Arkansas beat Kentucky, Arkansas beat Tennessee, Arkansas beat LSU. When does beating a team no longer mean anything? And also, what do you, Hutch, say to the people who reply to this with rankings don't matter, just win games? Well, unfortunately, the net rankings do matter uh, because the, the NCAA Tournament Selection Committee uses them. I mean, the AP poll, yeah, that, that doesn't matter, really. I mean, it, it's great for you know, being able to refer to a team as a number or whatever, but the net rankings actually do matter. Now, I have, based on what I've read, what I understand, I don't know if this is you know, entirely accurate because the selection committee, I don't know how open they are about this stuff, but I don't think they necessarily go, okay, well, this team's number 21 in the net rankings, so we're going to have to slot them as a whatever seed that would be. I mean, I think that would be a sixth seed. I think the you know, top five seeds are all in the top 20. So I don't think they do that. However, they use the net to kind of put – different games and different quadrants you know we always talk about quadrant one quadrant two quadrant three quadrant four and but how are those quadrants determined they're determined by your ranking and so i get it like oh well arkansas maybe didn't move up that much because the the rankings you know 
in that range or whatever. Like we don't know what the actual numeric value is. Like how, how close is number 21 to number 20? Is there a big gap there or is there not? You know, I think about the, uh, you know, SP plus rank ratings in college football that Bill Connolly does over at ESPN. You know, he, he has an actual like numeric value and it shows you like, okay, Alabama or Georgia is this much ahead of number two. Like there's a big gap. Uh, there isn't that numeric value as far as I know for the net rankings. But again, if that, if the, the quadrants are determined solely on the, the rankings, it just doesn't make sense to me. Like Vanderbilt, for example, they're, they're, they actually moved down from 77 to 79 despite not playing on uh, Wednesday night. And that's a big deal for Arkansas because if they can get to the top 75, instead of that being a quad three loss, which looks pretty ugly on the resume, it would become a quad two loss. How is four spots in the rankings that influential I, I, don't, I don't get it. It's, it's very confusing and weird. They're, they're, but to be fair, there's probably not a perfect way to do it. The selection committee is going to be criticized regardless of what they do. You just hope that uh, they can look at how Arkansas played over the you know, second half of the season and, and be able to fa- factor that more so than the, the ugly losses to Hofstra, Vanderbilt, you know, the, the, the blowout to Oklahoma, road loss to Mississippi State, road loss to A&M. Those aren't terrible losses, but you hope they can look over that whenever they're considering Arkansas's resume as a whole. Okay. Well, we got to move on from this as much as I'm sure you would like to sit here and talk about it longer. We got to talk about Tennessee this weekend. So Arkansas travels travels to Tennessee. Um, the volunteers are 15-0 and 0 at home this year. It's not going to be easy, uh, but – you're talking about quality wins. If Arkansas can get a win in Knoxville going into the SEC tournament, I really don't think it matters how they do in the SEC tournament unless they go and they win the whole dang thing. I think that you're pretty secure as a at least a top four seed, would you say, Hutch? Yeah, I guess that's one kind of small takeaway you could take from the, the net rankings from – uh, the most recent net rankings is LSU went on the road to Al- Arkansas and lost a close one and they didn't move. Uh, so you'd think that if Arkansas goes on the road to Tennessee and doesn't come out on top, as long as they don't get blown out by 20 or something, uh, I think that Arkansas should stay put and they're, they're pretty secure in my opinion, as a four seed. Uh, and as you said, I mean, I guess they could go on a run and depending on who they get matched up with in the SEC tournament, maybe they could, you know, bump up a seed line. But uh, to me, I think they've earned themselves a four seed. Alex, I want to ask you real quick because you haven't gone in on the conversation. Let's talk just SEC power rankings because you look up and down and it's really a a four-team show between Auburn, Arkansas, Kentucky, and Tennessee. Where do you you slate the hogs there? I mean, it's hard to say that there's one of those teams ahead of them, at least in my mind, because Arkansas beat all of them. But – we all know that one game doesn't always mean everything. So what do you think? Yeah, a lot of times in these conversations, you'll have have a situation where, you know, maybe a, a team like Arkansas had beaten a, a Kentucky earlier on in the season and, and maybe the two teams have gone a little bit different. And, and even, I mean, Vanderbilt is not a better team than Arkansas. They beat Arkansas, but they're very clearly not a better team. Um, I, I think this case that doesn't apply because Arkansas beat all three of these teams in the last two or three weeks. You're really looking at a team right now that, as a lot of you know, half the people were saying, "Oh, the season's a wash." Half the people were saying, "Just wait till March. Just wait till March. Just wait till March." We waited till March, and I, I think we're seeing a team that really is, in in my eyes, the best team in the SEC it is going on a run that that we. I don't think anyone was expecting. I think every time we do one of these, we're like, "Okay, well, if they can go." If they can go just over 500 for this next stretch, I think that they're in a good spot. If they can win one of Kentucky, Auburn, Tennessee, I think they're in a good spot. They're going out and winning all of these games outside of the Alabama game, which was a one-point loss on the road. Um, I think Arkansas has to be one in those rankings. And slating them in, I think it's all about how teams are finishing. Kentucky is playing pretty good basketball. Um, and, and they do have they do have Shiway who's gonna bump you up and give you an advantage over most teams in the country. Um, so I'd probably have them too, and then and then maybe you know 
Tennessee and Auburn are pretty interchangeable. I believe Tennessee beat Auburn last week. So maybe slate them right ahead. And Auburn really, you know, escaped Mississippi state last night. Um, able likely going to hold on to that sec crown, but it, it does make you wonder whether or not they're a team that, that peaked too early or if they're a team that's actually going to be able to contend as a one seed uh, uh, come the NCAA tournament. All right. Well, we're going to wrap this segment up. We're going to talk some football and then talk some Razorback baseball uh, here on the Hogbeat Hour, but that's going to do it for our basketball talk, and we'll be right back. You're listening to the Hogbeat Hour with Andrew Hutchinson, Alex Trader, and Mason Choate on ESPN Arkansas on HitThatLine.com. Now, here's your host, Mason Choate. All right, we're back here on the Hogbeat Hour talking a little bit of football here in March. Yes, we're in March. It's March 3rd, and on March 5th, this Saturday, uh, Arkansas has another junior days coming up, and there's going to be some some recruits on campus. So, Mr. Alex Trader, this is your time to shine, buddy. T- tell us about the recruits that are coming to Fayetteville. Yeah, it's going to be a big weekend for the Hogs. Um, we saw, you know, a couple commitments come during during the January junior days. I don't know if that's going to be the same case here. But uh, I, the big name to watch this weekend is Tryon Webb, uh, former Oklahoma commit decommitted there with with all the Lincoln Riley fallout similar to how Luke has did um you'd like to think that has might be you know trying to influence him a little bit there if you're the Arkansas staff you might be in his ear saying hey you know y'all talked in a while what are you telling him about um what it's like to be a Razorback commit but he's a, a top top level running back in this 23 class uh, he's rated as the number three running back in the country, 88 overall player in the rivals, 100 um, really would be a massive pickup, especially following up. You know, you have Dom Johnson, you have, you have AJ green, you have rocket Sanders right now. And then Rashad Dubinion coming in this year. Who's a really, really good running back as well as James Joyner jr. It, just continuing to stack running back classes can't hurt the number of uh, the sec's leading uh, rushing attack. Um, as well as that, you know, you've got, I believe, also at the running back position, the Gatorade player of the year for Kansas, um, Dylan Edwards. So that that's another big opportunity for the, the staff to kind of nail down that running back position. And then um, that that's just this this week's like main visitors for the running back position. At least we have a full list up on uh, our premium message board over at Hogbeat, the trough. So you guys can take advantage of that, especially if you're a college student. You're able to, to email Hutch. I believe it's at Andrew Hutchin or Andrew Hutchinson 413 at gmail.com um, with your edu email address. And you're going to get a whole year of coverage for 1195, which is a you're not going to find that deal anywhere else. Um, so definitely, if you're a college student, go take advantage of that. But we, we have the, the full list of visitors for this week as well as next week um, up on the board. Hutch, I know you you talked to one of the, the March 12th visitors uh, last week or earlier this week. Um, why don't you tell us a little bit about uh, TJ Metcalf? Yeah, TJ Metcalf, I actually reached out to him because I saw him tweet a, a screenshot of a, a FaceTime conversation he had with Dominique Bowman. Uh, the new defensive backs coach. And yeah, I'm just fascinated by how, you know, Bowman has kind of hit the ground running recruiting wise. You know, it's always interesting to get the comments from the recruits. Like, Hey, what do you think about this guy? Cause you know, we just see, Oh, he's a young guy. He coached at Marshall for a year. Okay. Big quip. What what else is there about him? Is can he recruit Uh, based on the conversations I've had with a couple of guys that have caught up with Dallas young about him, the the commitment from Alabama uh, and which, I did notice where Dallas Young is visiting Ole Miss this weekend and Sam Carter. That's going to be something to maybe keep an eye on. Uh, but uh, I did catch up with TJ Metcalf, and he really likes Dominic Bowman. He, he feels like they have a really good relationship and that he can uh, really lean on him throughout the process, and, and he'll help him make his decision. Uh, you got to hope that that decision includes Arkansas, you know, if you're an Arkansas fan. Uh, but regardless, you know, to get kind of some inroads, he's an Alabama kid. Uh, you know, Alex and I were talking before, I guess he's a cousin of, of DK Metcalf, uh, which, I mean, that, that's some pretty solid bloodline. So uh, I think that would be a, a, a big time get for Arkansas if they can get him on campus and show him uh, what the uh, hogs have to offer. And, you know, another thing that's working in Arkansas's favor is, is his younger brother, uh, I believe his name is Tevis or something, Tev, I think is what they call him. Uh, he's a 2024 
uh, Arkansas has already offered him. That's his first, you know, big time offer. I think his other offers were from a couple of HBCUs at the FCS level, including Deion Sanders and Jackson State. Um, but uh, that that's that's big. I mean, if you can get a guy's brother, we've seen that work in Arkansas's favor in the past. You know, look at Jalen Catalan. Uh, who knows how much it played into his decision, but you know, you brought in Kendall as a transfer uh, from the FCS level, and it helped you get Jalen Catalan and hey, if, if, that, if that helps you get a really big-time player, uh, I'm all for it uh, because the, some, sometimes a player is good enough for two scholarships. Uh, is TJ Metcalf that kind of player? I'm not sure, but uh, obviously if Arkansas feels good enough to legitimately offer his brother, you know, if it's a committable offer, uh, I think that kind of shows us uh, what kind of level they think TJ is. So just another one of those big time prospects. I know they've got several DBs. You know, you mentioned the running backs that are coming in over this next month. You know, I think Javen Simpkins is another, you know, high three-star recruit from I think Florida uh, that's coming in on the 12th. Uh, so lots of running backs that I've seen coming in and also lots of defensive backs uh, so far. We've, we've kind of tracked down as, as guys come in for junior days. All right. So aside from junior days, uh, Something else going on with football. The newcomers got their numbers. I know, Alex, you and a couple of the subscribers were a little frustrated with the way the graphic was put together. Um, but uh, talk about that a little bit. We, the, the guys that weren't early enrollees, they don't have numbers yet. So I was looking at it. I was like, where's Satania? But he doesn't have a number yet because he was not an early enrollee. Yeah, where's Satania was a pretty common question on the board. Um, as far as the design of the graphic, I don't know who did that. I thought it was a fine graphic. I was like, oh, cool, I'm going to get this up on the board real quick. And it it might still have been fine to me. I, I don't think I would have noticed it, but someone pointed out, wow, I can't believe they, they put it out of order for just one line. And there's one, two, like two number stretch that's out of order threw me off for the entire day I, I couldn't do anything I had to go home and take a nap just to, to kind of recover from it um, but you've, you've got all the newcomers with their numbers I, I think you know that's a pretty exciting thing for, for the fan base and, and for the players as, as well I'm sure just being able to see hey I have my number I'm, I'm part of this team um, and, and you know fans are kind of getting a first look at hey I might need to get go ahead and get that number nine jersey for Jaden Hazel, what I believe was uh, was was his number. Um, that that full uh, list is up on the Arkansas recruiting Twitter, I believe, or maybe the Arkansas football Twitter. One of those two, maybe both. Maybe there's a retweet in there somewhere. But um, just just you know, it signifies the start of, of spring ball. We're close. Football season's almost here. Basketball in full swing. Baseball starting to get underway. Uh, really just a great time to be an Arkansas sports fan. And uh, I'm sure Hutch would agree a sports writer as well. Yeah. And I'm going to add too that the, uh, not, in addition to all the, the newcomer numbers, uh, they've updated the online roster. I have not finished it as of this recording, but by the time you're listening to it, you can probably go to hogbeat.com and I'm going to have my usual breakdown of which players have gained the most weight, lost the most weight over the off season. That's always a, a big hit uh, amongst the readers uh, because, you know, it's always like, okay, well, who, who's hit the weight room the hardest, uh, who's improved the most in the off season and the weight changes while they don't tell us everything. Uh, they give us kind of an idea of, okay, maybe this guy is, is a guy to watch uh, once we get into the spring practices. Speaking of measurements, uh, we just received the measurements for Traylon Burks at the NFL combine. Um, I don't, I mean, I'm going to be honest with you. I don't pay attention to measurements very much. It looks like he's six foot two, 225, nine and seven eighth inch hands. Is that, I mean, like we know he has big hands, but is that like a, is that a big measurement? Do you guys know? Okay. You guys. I think so. I, I mean, the, the dude wears five XL gloves. I think that tells me everything I need to know more than just the, you know, an inches measurement. Okay. Well, yeah, Arkansas, uh, they are at the NFL Combine, Traylon Burks there. I mean, that's going to be the guy that people pay attention to. So that's also going on for football. doesn't really have to do with Arkansas moving forward, but good for Traylon Burks. So, anyways, we're going to talk Razorback baseball next, get you set for the series this weekend, talk about Round Rock, all that here on the Hogbeat Hour.
You're listening to the Hog Beat Hour with Andrew Hutchinson, Alex Trader, and Mason Choate on ESPN Arkansas on HitThatLine.com. Now, here's your host, Mason Choate. All right, we're back here on the Hog Beat Hour, last segment of the episode. So we're going to talk some Razorback baseball. Uh, before we get to the midweek versus Omaha, got to talk about Round Rock. Um, I'm going to be honest, not the greatest experience for myself, but uh, I decided that I was going to make the most of the trip. Did so. Uh, we went to Omaha, or not Omaha, no. We went to Round Rock, and uh, it was it was rough. So missed the Friday game because of a, a, a canceled flight. Arkansas beats Indiana 5-2 to two on Friday. Saturday, they don't have a game. It gets postponed. Play doubleheader on Sunday. Arkansas gets shut out by Stanford, and then they win the nightcap against Louisiana. So that's a quick rundown. Um, we'll talk about that here in a second. If you want like a more in-depth recap of that, you can go listen to the Diamond Hogs podcast episode from this Monday. That is a that's on the Hogbeat YouTube, or you can just search Diamond Hogs podcast wherever you get your podcast. But Hutch, all right. I think the Indiana game, we don't really have to talk about that. I mean, Carter Nolan, 10 strikeouts to be expected against a team like Indiana. No offense to Indiana, but, I mean, come on. And then Stanford, that was the game. So you lose 5 nothing to Stanford. Hagan Smith had a great, great debut as a hog, but didn't look um, – I wouldn't say didn't look the best, just didn't have his stuff going. I mean, Dave Van Horn said that he, it just wasn't there. His changeup couldn't even get it over the plate. Um, it just – it wasn't working for Hagen Smith against Stanford on Sunday. Yeah, I mean, Hagen Smith, I mean, he's a freshman. I, I think it, there were some people who immediately after the Illinois State Series was like, oh, my gosh, we've got to move Hagen Smith to Friday because he's your ace. He's way better than Connor Nolan. But I think I even said it on the podcast that Connor Nolan is probably going to be the more consistent guy because, I mean, he's super old. <laughs> he's a senior he's been here a million years he's been there done that he's not going to get phased by too much and you feel like you're going to be you know, get consistent outings from him even if he's not great he's still going to get you innings uh Hagen Smith he's a freshman there's going to be days where he goes out there and he throws six scoreless and looks like a future first round pick and then there's going to be other days where he can't get out so he can't get I mean I think the eight of the last 10 guys he faced ended up reaching base either by a hit or a walk. I think he had hit by pitch in there. Uh, so he, he didn't get through the third inning. Uh, that's kind of what I expected. Yeah. The key is, is does he have more good outings than bad? I think that's still very possible because he's incredibly talented. Uh, but I think that that showed you why Connor Nolan is the Friday guy and why I think, he has a potential to remain the Friday guy throughout the rest of the season. But it was another outing for Arkansas where they only had what three hits on the whole in the whole game against Stanford. So it's like Hagen Smith can go out there and not look the greatest. But it, I mean, Arkansas still gave up five runs, but they didn't give themselves any run support. So that I mean, it was just a bad day at the plate for the most part, until a little bit into the Louisiana game, but the bats just weren't there against Stanford. And you got to give credit to Quinn Matthews of Stanford. I mean, he pitched an incredible game, but this Arkansas team is supposed to hit the ball really well, and they did not. Yeah, it, it was the, the the most surprising part of this season has been how bad they have been offensively. I know uh, during the Stanford game, I did a bunch of research on like, okay, well, what's Arkansas splits against left-handed pitching versus uh, compared to right-handed pitching? Because that seems to be kind of the Achilles heel for Arkansas the last several years is they can't hit a left-hander, even though Quinn Matthews did not have a particularly great career ERA. Uh, he went out there and looked like, you know, freaking Randy Johnson or something. Uh, but I, he, I, the game kept on going and Arkansas didn't hit right-handers either. <laughs> and I was like, well, gum, they, they can't hit anybody. And they ended up even with the Indiana game and even with the, the late inning heroics against Louisiana Lafayette, they still only went 18 for a hundred. That's 180 batting average, not going to win too many games with a 180 batting average. And the fact that they got, you know, went two of one in round rock with that, was remarkable and they were hitting 213 as a team through the first two weeks of the season so just a, a very surprising start considering this lineup is supposed to be 
based on everybody that knows anything about college baseball, based on what Dave Van Horn has said, based on what I've seen with my own two eyes, this offense should be way better than what it was through the first two weekends of the season. Yeah, and they, they, I mean, like, they showed signs of that against Omaha on Wednesday. But before we get to that real quick, we got to hit the Louisiana game. We won't go super in-depth. Just, you know, the fact that Jackson Wiggins, he goes six innings. That's the longest outing of his career. And then, of course, the biggest play of the day for Arkansas was the, the homer hit by Jalen Battles in the eighth that uh, put Arkansas ahead. Um, that's really how they won the game because they – it was hard to come by hits up until that point. So Jalen Battles gets the hit, basically wins the game for Arkansas, and Wiggins does a great job. They did have to bring Ramage in in the ninth um, to close it out. But, all right, let's move on to uh, Omaha. So Arkansas, get right game. They scored 15 runs against Omaha. And, I mean, it, it was it, – I don't know. Going into this, you didn't really know what to expect because the bats hadn't been there all year. And it's one of those midweek games. I mean, Omaha beat UCLA in a midweek last week, I think. So it you were a little worried. Like, is Arkansas – I mean, because if they can't hit, you got your midweek pitchers going. I mean, Mark Domiak started the game. Nothing against Mark Domiak because he's a good pitcher. But still, I mean, were you a little worried going into this one, Hutch? You know, honestly, I, I think I am posted this on the message board that if they – don't get the bats going today I don't know when they're going to because I got to the ballpark and it was just a picture perfect day for college baseball it was warm I think it was in the 70s the wind was well, not very strong but it was blowing out uh, the first two weeks of the season they had just horrible horrible weather conditions to deal with the wind was blowing in it was cold just not favorable conditions if you're a hitter uh now, that's not to excuse their horrible, horrible play, uh, but it, it was definitely a difference on Wednesday. And I honestly almost kind of posted on them. I, I didn't do this, but I almost posed a question like over under three and a half home runs for Arkansas because I felt like they were going to break out and, and have a big offensive game. Uh, they ended up hitting three, uh, so that, that was pretty much spot on. And so it, it was a good thing to see. Omaha isn't the greatest, but as you said, they, they beat UCLA. Their pitcher that they started, Jackson Gordon, uh, he didn't have great career numbers. Like his ERA, career ERA coming into the season was just under seven, but he had looked pretty good uh, this season, held UCLA scoreless for three innings, uh, had a couple of nice solid outings against San Jose State. Uh, but against Arkansas, they they got to them. It took it took a few innings. I think the first three innings they only managed like one run. Uh, but then, boy, that fourth inning came and boom, and it was they were off to the races. Yeah, so it was tied one one um, through three, and then Arkansas comes in the fourth inning, scores five runs. A couple of the newcomers get homers. So Peyton Stovall finally gets one over the fence. Michael Turner. I mean, he's hit a couple where it should have been over the fence, but he finally gets one over the fence. Turner goes three for three at the play with three RBI. Um, Chris Lanzilli had a good day. Let's see, he went two for four, three RBI. So you got some of your newcomers to finally get going, and one of the ones that you really needed to was Chris Lanzilli um, and Peyton Stovall as well. But Lanzilli's a guy that I, you know, I we did this series preview of players and. I was excited about Lanzilli because if you look at his numbers at Wake Forest, I mean, this dude can hit the baseball, and we just haven't seen it yet. Um, of course, we know it's a midweek against Omaha, but still, for these newcomers to, you know, finally find some success at the plate, that, that's got to be key moving forward. And not just the fact that Lanzilli actually you know, got some hits and RBIs and stuff, but the scenario that it happened, bases were loaded and two outs. Arkansas up to that point had been 0 for 11 with the bases loaded and he rips a double uh, into the corner drives into and really blew the game open I mean Arkansas before the fourth inning in the first 55 innings of the season the most they had scored in a single inning was three and they had done that twice and one of those was because of Jalen Battles three-run bomb against Louisiana so they had not really had that big inning to really kind of separate uh, and that double by Lanzilli was just huge and then they followed this. They had the five run fourth inning, and then they followed up with a seven run fifth inning. That was more runs than they had scored in any entire game up to that point. So, just a, an offensive explosion that you felt like was, was coming. 
Uh, and really, you know, we haven't mentioned it yet, but the whole thing started whenever Brady Slavens hit just an absolute bomb on top of the Hunt Center beyond the right field wall. It was a 390-foot blast, I think 104 off the bat, just absolutely crushed it. Uh, and that, that actually tied the game at two and set the stage for those, you know, massive innings that, that Arkansas was able to, to kind of put the game away and allow Arkansas to play some of the younger freshmen that we hadn't seen yet. Yeah, that I mean, that hit by Slavens was huge, and it's great for him because he – I mean, we saw Slavens. He's had success at the plate, but another one of those guys where, I mean, what – I think he he had the golden sombrero against Stanford, four, four at-bats, four strikeouts, so good for Brady Slavens. Before we, before we wrap up, though, we do want to mention Mark Adamiak goes two, two-thirds, um, gave up four hits, uh, one run, it was earned. Uh, no walks, no strikeouts, though. But you got to see some of these bullpen arms. So Heston Toll got in, Evan Taylor got in, Brady Tigart got in, Gabe Starks, Nick Moten. So Hutch, I'm just curious of all these pitchers. Like, what are your takeaways? I mean, you don't have to talk about every single one of them, but maybe some of the guys that you looked at and you're like, okay, I think this guy can make an impact this year. Evan Taylor, uh, that's a guy that that Dave Van Horn mentioned back in the fall is a guy that he thinks could have a a breakout year. Uh, left-handed arm. He has kind of a, a weird delivery, uh, and he'd been pre- pretty much only used as kind of like a left-handed specialist to come in and get a batter or two, uh, but they let him go for two innings, and all he did was go six up, six down. Looked really, really impressive, and what made it even more impressive in my eyes is that he went three up, three down. Arkansas had the seven-run inning that lasted like 30 minutes, and it was he had to stay warm during the inning or whatever, and he came back out and goes three up, three down again. So really impressive outing by him. I was also impressed by, by both Brady Tiger and Nick Moten. Uh, they both can throw it really hard. Tiger, I think, set 95, 96. Uh, both those guys threw a scoreless inning. They, they got into some trouble uh, but got out of it. So uh, encouraging stuff there by the two freshmen who made their uh, college debuts. All right, well, Arkansas takes on Southeastern this weekend, Friday, Saturday, Sunday. First pitch Friday, 3 p.m., then Saturday, 2 p.m., Sunday, 1 p.m. All those can be streamed on the SEC Network Plus. Um, So that's going to do it for us here on the Hogbeat Hour. Uh, Thank you, Andrew Hutchinson. Thank you, Alex Trader. And thank you, everybody out there for listening.